What's up, Llama listeners? Joe here, and I'm excited to announce our partnership with Blazing Star Barbecue. Blazing Star Barbecue is a veteran-owned business owned and operated by Mike Starr, a veteran of over 20 years of military service and a fantastic member of the Llama family. Through his amazing rubs and sauces, Mike is devoted to bringing unique flavors from his world travels to your backyard. And I got to tell you, I love me some Blazing Star Barbecue, especially the Reaper and brand new Scorpion rubs. I absolutely put them on everything, and they pretty much have rendered the rest of my spice cabinet obsolete. Check them out at BlazingStarBarbecue.com and Blazing Star Barbecue on all social media platforms and get your sauces and rubs today. We promise you won't be disappointed. Live. Learning. The Llama Lounge. Yo, welcome back to the Llama Lounge, a dialogue on all things life, learning, and leadership. This is Joe Bogdan, and I am excited to chat with our guest today, Van Lai Dumon. Van is a TEDx speaker, creative strategist, and founder of WorkSmart, a progressive team development and leadership training company that activates creativity and experiential learning to enrich company culture and skyrocket performance. Welcome to the lounge, Van. How are you? I'm doing great, Joe. Nice to be here. And thank you for waking up so early in the morning for this interview. Oh, no, I'm, I appreciate your flexibility because I know for one thing, um, Saturday mornings here while I'm in Korea, the land of the morning calm, it's like Friday late afternoon and I know we can be really busy. So I really appreciate you taking the time as well. And we were able to work a time where I'm not waking up at the crack of dawn and then right. and, and you're towards the, the late end of the day. So thank you so much. Of course, of course. I know the first the first time you you suggest, I was like, no one needs to wake up that early, Joe. We can push it back. <laughs> no, I'm so grateful because I would have been a zombie, so for sure. <laughs> so, so how's things going on in your neck of the woods? I know I've only been gone from the states for um, almost a month, but um, I've already seen like so many changes there because there's been a lot of changes here into the um, the environment with the pandemic and everything else in between. I know schools starting uh, across mm-hmm. across the globe. Um, how are things going for you? It's been interesting. I mean, I live in Southern California, so it's sort of sunny all year round. It's been mm-hmm. a beautiful summer. Uh, and my son did go back to school this week, and which has been interesting because it's really the first time in over 18 months that I've been able to work at home on my mm-hmm. own. So that's been, and it's been an interesting transition and then everything going on in, in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked about that just before we press record here. So it's, it's been a bit tumultuous and also this dichotomy of this life we're living over here and then knowing everything that's going, over, going on over there. And then as mm-hmm. you know, um, as we'll probably talk about too, me being a Vietnamese refugee, and you know having lived that experience even though i was very young Mm. there's a visceral feeling of what must be going on over there and feeling that empathy for everyone yeah without even getting into like i think a lot of people want to turn this into a political thing but when you look at just the the humanity involved and being attached you know that's something that i didn't even consider that you know the feelings that you would have and a lot of people that i know that have also you know come over as refugees at some point 
that connection that you have to what's happening um that must that must have some emotional impact on you and um and even the transition that you're having with the kids going to school i you know it's it's funny because we're so used to being in one way and you're like a lot of times we're like oh i can't wait till it goes back to whatever but the transition back to whatever normal kind of looks like that's also it could be an emotional event in a lot of ways absolutely and and i have to always remember not just for myself mm-hmm. but for these poor little kids who have gone through so much over the last 18 months or, or 20 months. My son actually, you know, I was very proud of him. He, he went back Monday and Tuesday mm-hmm. and Tuesday had a really hard day. He wanted to come home. They, mm-hmm. they wanted him to build resilience. They didn't let him come home. And that night he just came home just you know, emotionally fried and just basically begged me, begged me, begged me. I need to stay home to my mom. I need this. I need this. And growing up a child of Vietnamese parents mm-hmm. in a Catholic school, Mm. That would have never been an option for me to say, I need to stay home and get to, right? So mm-hmm. I really had to fight my urge to, to be like, well, you need to be, be resilient. You need to go because, <laughs> you know, this is the way it is. And I said, okay, you can stay home today. Um, mm-hmm. And that, that evening last, and then last night he said to me, that really helped my heart. Mm. Wow. I was like, that was, yeah, that was really beautiful for me. And then today he went to school with no problem. Mm. You know, and that's such an interesting, just, it's like a hinge moment where you sit there. It's like, well, I, I feel like they need to go to school, but then, you know what I mean? Like, oh, am I going to make, am I uh, coddling them by letting them stay home? And so it's like, there's so many exactly things, my right? Thought. Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. I can only imagine you're like, and you don't even know if you made the right decision, like moving forward. <laughs> no, right. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, I struggle with that often. It's like, okay, am I coddling too much? But, but I do feel there's something about really listening to the need of a child. Mm -hmm. right yeah yeah i think um that is there's such a parallel there and i know um when we talk about leading people and supervising and you know in leadership in general we don't we try to stay away from saying they're like your children you know the people that you're leading because sometimes i could you know be a little bit demeaning but in reality there's so many parallels there because that's the same thing when you're when you're leading people when you're supervising was like do you coddle them too much you do you or do you tell them that you know in this moment you have to suck it up a little bit and move forward and to grow you know it's it's a difficult yeah. transition there and there's not necessarily a right answer then either that's true. I have a friend who, a colleague who has five children mm-hmm. and he teaches leadership um, as we do. And he says like, this is my, he's like, I practice every day my leadership <laughs> skills and what I teach on these five, you know, anywhere from, I think five to 12 years old. And, yeah. but it is sort of the, the same principles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, you know, and, and like, really, it doesn't have to be demeaning treating you know your subordinates or the people that you lead that like with love and care like you would your own children you know it's mm-hmm. not if if you just t- treat with dignity and respect in both areas right like with your children as well so i i can see that it's yeah that that i'm not a parent um i feel like i have a, a tons of children that i love being being yeah. a being a leader in the military but um but i can only imagine the challenges that you that you deal with you know have all the rewards as well of course but the challenges that definitely come with being a mother thank you for recognizing that (laughs) (laughs) well hey before we get too deep into some conversations you know we're hoping you could share a little bit about yourself because i know we're about to get in deep into some great topics one of my favorite being curiosity and i know that you're you're an expert in that and team building but i was hoping that you share a little bit about yourself because we, we We've discovered that we can glean a lot of wisdom from the experiences of others. So the question is, how did Vaughn become the woman she is today? 
Oh my goodness. Okay. Well, let's just go way back. I am a Vietnamese refugee. I came here in 1975 with my family. We fled the war the day Saigon fell. Mm. And my dad was a colonel in the South Vietnamese Air Force. Like I said, like the empathy for what's going on now, we had to get out of there. Mm. So growing up in Santa Monica, California, as one of five Asian people in my school, two of the other ones being my brother and my sister, there was always a feeling of trying to fit in needing to belong and that really built built that really built into my character not i wouldn't say a negative or a positive way it was just this idea of always trying to fit in always trying to belong and that stayed with me for a good part of my life because i didn't only feel that in school but i felt that in my in my household too because here i am an american kid really being raised by vietnamese parents so this idea of not ever feeling a place of true belonging, um, I think really fed into how I developed my own, my personality and how I really had to come into my own after many years. I don't think it was well until my 30s and into my 40s that I started thinking about like, okay, so I had to shed all those characters and, and personalities and, and goals that I thought were mine, right? Because they weren't. Um, and find find my own path. And that's how I came to what I do now, which is bringing team and leadership development into the corporate world through creativity. And before that, it was an ebb and flow between entrepreneurship, working for, working for startups, um, working in the corporate environment. And I bounced around a lot. And in hindsight, I realized I bounced around a lot because I was never trying to please myself. I was just mm. trying to please others. Mm. You know, that's something there's like a bunch of stuff that I want to dig into just in what you said so far, but that feeling of belonging, I, I can relate to that so much because, you know, I, I'm also a first generation immigrant and came to the country when I was an infant. And I remember, you know, even now as a grown up, um, being a Korean American, um, people always ask, you know, do you speak Korean? Are you fluent in Korean? I'm like, well, I speak a little bit, but I know that when I went to school and I was like the only Korean kid in school, when I moved to the States, um, you know, there was some bullying, there was some everything else that's that that comes along with, you know, being a child and looking different than everybody else that I, I basically dumped everything I could about myself being Korean, even though I couldn't the way I look so that I could try to assimilate into the culture and belong. So, and it became this weird thing where like, I'm at home, I'm trying to not speak Korean and not be Korean, didn't want to eat those foods. I'm going to go to work. I'm going to go to um, school and I'm trying to assimilate there, but it's not really working. And it became almost like identity crisis early on. I remember that yeah. pretty vividly, yeah. even as five years old. What fish sauce didn't do too well in a lunchbox. Right? No, yeah. Kimchi <laughs> didn't do too well either. <laughs> yeah. And it's interesting because those, those foods that were not cool, like 30 years ago are like delicacies and everybody's like, people are oh, really yeah. taking it on now, which is interesting. Absolutely. Yeah. But, you know, I wanted to dig into something that you talked about goals that weren't truly yours. Um, yeah. Can you, can you elaborate on that a little bit? Like you're kind of, you know, living to something that wasn't necessarily what you wanted or what your goals were? Yeah. And I think, I mean, in the past, I did a lot of blaming on my parents, right? Mm -hmm. I blamed them for like, for not giving me confidence and not raising me in a way where I can live my, out my dreams. <laughs> mm -hmm. And, and, and so I followed the path. I followed the path of getting education, going to college, getting my MBA and then, and then follow the path of, okay, now I get a job, right? I get a job, 
But what I found was I got to that point was, okay, well, I'm, I don't feel like this is the right place for me. I don't feel like, again, the, the sense of belonging. So mm-hmm. let me move on to something else. But that something else was always, what else is going to impress? And it was, it was very subconscious, mm-hmm. right? It wasn't a conscious thing. Okay, what else should I go after that I can impress my mom or others? Right. It was just something like it was definitely subconscious and it was just this idea of like, okay, what's, what else can I do next? Mm-hmm. And in hindsight, like, I was like, oh, I chose that because I felt that would impress someone, mm-hmm. either my peers or my parents. Um, and, and yeah, it was, I think my, my, one of my last lessons in that was I was working for a large pharmaceutical company mm-hmm. and, you know, ple- that's like pleasing parents. But then I had this feeling like I want to start, I've always been very entrepreneurial, so I, so I decided I want to start another business. Mm-hmm. And I had taken some ballet bar classes. Have you heard mm-hmm. like the bar method? I probably no, took it. So it's that. it's a it's a exercise methodology where there's uh-huh. just bars bar like ballet bars along okay. the edges, but you're doing uh-huh. like small exercises on them. Oh, okay. So I took about maybe 10, 15 classes and decided I want to open a studio with a girlfriend of mine. Ooh. So being who I am, would I just jump into things? We wrote a business plan. We went to a bank, got the money, and nine months later, I had a, a bar studio, wow. and we built it out and everything. Um, and then, and and then after the opening night, where it was a party, it was it was great fun. The next morning, I woke up thinking like, what have I done? Now I have to run this thing, <laughs> right? Because and the whole time I was like, oh, this will look good. People will think I'm so cool. I open own a bar studio. Mm-hmm. And then when the reality came to like, oh no, now I have to run this thing. Mm-hmm. It really dawned on me like I, I can't keep living like this, right? I yeah. can't keep living trying to impress other people. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's, there's a lot there too, that we could dig into, but I think that, um, that a lot of times when, you know, especially as we're kind of developing and maturing, we look at something, for instance, like you, what you and the the bar studio is like, Oh, this would be really cool. And they're like, Oh crap. Now I got to manage this thing, you know? And and for like other entrepreneurs, like even for me, when I just, um, helped, uh, co-write a book and I'm like, Oh, that was a really cool experience. Cool. And then we could sell them and promote them. Cool. Oh, now I got to distribute them. Oh, (laughs) you know, (laughs) (laughs) and there's like so many parts that we don't often consider, you know, like that, that the other parts that come along with that, you know, is, is interesting how that kind of works out. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So when did you, so, cause I, I can say that I have a similar experience as well when it comes down to really wanting to please others. And I think some of that, you know, I just have my own theory on it when you're kind of growing and you, you're in this achievement accomplishment, you know, place in your, in your life. And maybe we have to kind of navigate through that to get to a level of maturity and realize who we really are. And that's just my kind of theory on it. When did you kind of like, I, I call it, see the world through adult eyes and realize that you're not there just to please everybody else that you have to figure out what your uh, meaning purpose and passions are so i would have to say like i i've known it for a long time so mm. like trying to navigate my way through it mm. but it was when my son was born mm. and and recognizing that i wasn't in a career that i loved i wasn't in a career that i wanted to be in and i had known it for years but i mm. stayed there and it was the same year he was born when he was 11 weeks old. My brother was in a, uh, a head on motorcycle accident mm-hmm. and he was in the neuro ICU for a month. Wow. So in a coma. Mm-hmm. So my, my, I mean, I would just have this little 11 week old baby and I would go to the hospital every day. You know, this is, this was our life. We just go to the hospital and sit there all day, wait, waiting mm-hmm. for him to wake up. And 
there is something between the birth of my son and seeing my brother in that condition mm. and seeing my parents there every day too right. that made me realize like number one i want my son to grow up with a mom who's not just going to work Mm-hmm. right who's doing right. actually something like living into what she wants to be living into mm-hmm. um and do what she loves and look at my parents like you know this is not what they brought me here for yeah you know they they even though they they brought me here for a better life and their definition of a better life because of where they came from was security mm-hmm. but that wasn't now enough for this generation right so i think that really was those were the two um, incidences in my life that made me like, okay, I need to, I need to really step out of this now and, and, and do what I've wanted to do. Cause I know, I knew I wanted this business six years before I started it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's, that's awesome because it's hard to kind of break that when you're, you know, everybody that got you to where you're at kind of has a game plan for you. And for you to deviate from that game plan, it could be, you know, just a very emotional experience in itself, trying to break yourself away. And I think that's very common amongst, at least in my experience as um, immigrants, um, Asian, Asian American communities, like, no, this is what you do. This is what we right, do. Yeah, and right. you're like, well, that's not really what I wanted. Like, oh, nobody asked you what you wanted to do. <laughs> yeah. I, to this day, I feel like there's a little bit of um, a disappointment still that uh-huh. we're, that neither my brother, my sister, and I are. Was One of us was supposed to be an engineer. One was uh-huh. supposed to be a lawyer. And uh-huh. one was supposed to be a doctor. Right. They got none of those. <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do you know Casey Berman? I'm not sure if you know. That he, sounds familiar. Yeah, he's up in the Bay Area, um, but he has this uh, company called Leave Law Behind, and uh-huh. he, he and he jokes about how being a Jewish uh, American, you know, he was like, "Oh, I became a lawyer because I don't like blood," <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> that, that was that was the requirement. You're gonna go one way or the other, and I didn't like blood, so now I'm a lawyer. <laughs> yes. There's a and there's a comedian. I, I wish I could remember his name. Maybe we can put it in the show notes so I can ever call it, but he's. He was talking about, um, you know, like the, the Asian culture, and I forgot mm. what career it was, but he's, oh, about being like a president of the United States, right? Because oh, yeah. he was talking about this little boy, he was born yeah. in the United States. So he said, you can be president. You don't just have to be a neuroscientist. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that was that Ronnie Chang. Yeah. I think yes, that was Ronnie, yeah, right, that was Ronnie right, Chang. Yes. That was hilarious. He was funny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 it's funny, just the different. Um, uh, the different cultures, you know, the different, uh, I guess, expectations that we lay down. And I, I love what you talked about the security thing, because it's not like, you know, for the most part, parents are want something, you know, bad for us. They're just like, this is kind of what we know. And security is really important at that moment, because that's what what, the, what was important to them. So they projected onto us. And we almost have to kind of see it as like, okay, in the Maslow's hierarchy, we've kind of got to the point you they've provided the security for that's you. Right. So now you can start you know, progressing up and to hopefully get to that self-actualization portion, which is just brings so much more meaning to life, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Yes. So your, your experience kind of growing through all of that and you're doing some amazing things now, can you kind of explain that? Cause I know there's, there's leadership canvas and all the amazing things you're doing with, you know, with, uh, with your company, um, what are some of those things and how did it kind of transition from your experiences to these, these epiphanies that turned into tactical level strategies that you can kind of teach people how to team building and all that? How, How did we get there? So that was a process. So I have always been creative my whole life, mm. right? I was always a very creative child and, and, and artistry is in my family, right? My, even though like, wait, no one, no one's professional artist, but my mom's an artist, my uncles are artists. Mm. And 
but it was never nurtured, right? It wasn't like it wasn't it wasn't like you're ever going to become an artist, right? right? Great, you can draw and you can paint, but you're never going to become an artist. But I was always creative my whole life, and there was always an element of that um, in every aspect of my life growing up in college, and and then and and then also doing all the things going to get my MBA, going down the corporate route. There came a time where in my career, I was like, oh, like I am lacking creativity in my life. So I want to bring it back into my life mm. and I want to bring it back into my work. And and that's what I did. I left and I started doing this creative adventure. At first, it was bringing arts and crafts into the workplace, like literally arts and crafts. Mm. Like, let's yeah. have let's bring arts and crafts and talk about things like what are your goals? What are your dreams? How do you connect mission to vision with art supplies? Like, here's a paintbrush and a canvas. Oh. And and I would do things in my backyard and invite friends over and do personal development workshops through arts and crafts. And and then it all kind of came together when I sat down with a friend, also an executive coach, he said, where do you feel like you can make the most impact and what's your why? And for me, thinking about my experience in the corporate world, I thought, well, my why is that I, you know, I had to leave the corporate world to find my creativity. Hmm. Uh, and what if people don't have that luxury, right. right? What if people don't have that luxury and yet they're still in the corporate world and don't have any form of, of creativity? So then I was like, okay, what I need to focus on is bringing creativity into the workplace and integrating it into into a I had to integrate it into the workplace in a way that that companies will actually bring me in mm -hmm. and that's when I connected it to team development and leadership training which are two things I did throughout my career mm -hmm. you know it, whether it's in entrepreneurial ventures or work in the corporate world I was always in learning and development training so I was able to pair those two and do what I do now which is bring creativity into the work we do by by doing leadership training and team development through this lens of what I call creative integration, mm. which basically means we do it all through creativity, play and uh, and experiences and experiencing things together. Well, so I got to ask you this question. You ever come across like they, they, they hire you or, you know, you propose what you're going to do and they just give you the stare like what <laughs> you're here to yeah. bring. Often. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> So how, how, how do you how do you get past that like how do you get them to know that no this is going to be value added give me a shot so i think now that i've been in business for six years mm -hmm. i have testimonials references mm -hmm. um, videos people can see because when i say what i do people are like still not quite getting it right mm -hmm. so i'm like well go watch this video and see how it works mm -hmm. and 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 the other part of it too is that i i don't reach for those companies who just don't get it anymore, mm. right? There's enough companies out there who I speak to, like who I just say creativity, and they light up. Oh yeah. That, uh, but without any, without hearing anything more than the word creativity, mm -hmm. and then when I get into this idea, like I do, you know, creative artifacts, so we build things as a reminder of the work we did that day, mm -hmm. or I bring in a spoken word artist, and I bring in a DJ to talk about communication, I bring in an improv artist to talk about presentation skills, mm -hmm. and. And, so, and then, and you know, just in that explanation, you know, you, you know who's going to say yes right away because yeah. they're like, oh my gosh, I just love this, right? Yeah. People who want to do things differently right. are a little more progressive. And then there's those calls where I say all this and there's crickets on the yeah. other side of the call. <laughs> yeah. 
I gotta imagine even the person that's like talking to you, they were like, no, I really like this, but there's no way I'm going to be able to sell this to my boss or, or, or whatever it might be, especially in limited budget constraint times, you know, across the yeah. world. But, but I mean, the value of creativity when it comes to leadership and team building and just overall organizational effectiveness, especially long-term, I think is just, is, is so high that, you know, we can't, Unfortunately, I think companies that don't even try to embrace it, they don't realize how short a game that they're actually playing. Absolutely. We, I just, I talk about the idea that, um, I talk about the idea that creativity is something that everyone in the organization is responsible for, mm-hmm. right? Not just one department or one person. The idea that creativity leads to innovation. And as you were saying, you know, it is a short game. I don't know any industry that doesn't need to innovate, right? right? Every industry needs to innovate. And where innovation comes from is creativity. Mm-hmm. And if you're only counting on one department, like your marketing department, mm-hmm. to be creative, then it's not enough because everyone in your organization has creative capacity. Mm-hmm. So when you have when you can tap into everyone's creative capacity, then you can get all the ideas on the table and get the best ideas out there. Yeah, so it's funny because you use the term creativity and then you also tied it with innovation. Like we hear innovation all the time and almost it's become a, it's almost become a buzzword at this point, like especially in the military. It's like, no, we got to innovate. We got to innovate. We got to innovate. Like innovation, we, we build labs of innovation and all this stuff. But really when you break it down to its base level, it's just people being creative, finding creative solutions to problems that they face. And it's not even just these huge epic strategic problems it's like maybe like how come when we come to work we keep bumping into this thing you know like you know something very simple (laughs) like well maybe we should move it but it's like maybe but it's in the way (laughs) you know but we also need it there you know just this creative solutions to some of these things and and um i think we kind of get away from that we think it's just this huge thing where it could be just a very tactical level thing absolutely and that's so interesting you say it because i never looked at that way this idea of because i work with someone who's you know who works in innovation and I work in creativity and there's this argument of, well, what's less or what's more um, like, what are people more intimidated by creativity mm-hmm. or innovation? Mm-hmm. Right. So I think innovation is a big buzzword. So maybe corporations right. are intimidated by that word in terms of mm-hmm. bringing people in because like, oh, yeah, we want innovation. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think in terms of an individual and the application of it, I think creativity is less intimidating, mm-hmm. right, because creativity is just looking at things from a different perspective, sharing mm-hmm. ideas and seeing what comes up with combining two ideas. And that leads to innovation. Hmm. So if a person doesn't feel that they're creative or maybe even a whole group of people, a team, a, a company, uh, maybe it's a small business, how, how do you help them kind of unlock that creativity that we all kind of have? So a couple of ways, there's, there's a couple of exercises I do. I'm not going to reveal mm-hmm. them here, but there's mm-hmm. a couple of exercises that really quickly, mm-hmm. when they do them, the debrief on these exercises, like, you know, you just, you just proved your own creativity, mm-hmm. right? And not only did you prove your own creativity, but through this exercise, you prove that everyone in this room sees things from a different perspective mm-hmm. and can bring something different to the table, yeah. um, different ideas to the table. And then also one of the methodologies I use is called creative problem solving. And creative problem solving is a way to literally say to people who say that you're not creative, you don't think you have creative ideas. Well, if you don't think so, here's a process you can use Mm. to become, or, you know, to express your, your innate creativity. Mm. And so people aren't, so people are like, 
I don't know what to do. It's like, okay, well, here's the first thing you do in, ter in terms of problem solving. You clarify. We clarify your 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 idea, um, and then you know, and then we start ideating. And there's tools around ideation. So for people and teams like that, there's a process and a set of tools that we can teach them so to bring out their creativity. Hmm. Yeah, I've just found that even myself, I think for the longest time, I've, I didn't think I was creative because I have my own vision of what creativity is and what, mm -hmm. what creative people do. And then, you know, with my significant other, she tells me, oh, you're really creative. And I'm like, I don't think I am. But, you know, in certain things, I'm creative. And I guess I feel like there's a thin veil that's on the side of where we are, where we're structured, you know, maybe it's the left and right side of the brain. There's like that thin veil that some of us have to kind of overcome or pull it to the side to be able to see oh i am creative actually there's proof of my in my existence that i've been creative yes. and, and now these are opportunities i can try to hone that creativity because everything can be developed even further right sometimes just overcoming obstacles in our own self-limiting beliefs that we can kind of get to that point what are your thoughts on that i, I that speaks to, to a tool that I, I actually use and i think I mean, in general, what I think is that, you know, we are, we're all creative, right? Mm -hmm. human, as human beings, we're all innately creative. Um, creative is a capacity we all have. It's just going to look different on everyone. Mm -hmm. Like my creativity is going to look different on me. Then it's going to look on you. Then it's going to look on someone else. Mm -hmm. And the limiting beliefs around it is what we have to get over, right? Mm -hmm. um, so there's a tool I, I use often, not just for creativity, but for any limiting belief is to take a piece of paper and, and make three columns, mm -hmm. right? And in the first column, write down that limiting belief. Like, so for example, this would be, I am not creative. Mm. And the second column is, okay, how do you turn that into a possibility? So what, what's a statement that turns out into a possibility? You can either write, I am creative, or I can learn to be more creative, mm. right? So that's now, now you turn that limiting belief into a statement of possibility. And then the third column is where you write, like you were saying, your evidence. Like, what's your evidence that you can be more creative, that you are creative? Hmm. Like, you started this podcast, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, you designed some of those tattoos. I have no idea, yeah. right? So there's like, there's like things that you can, you can pin your, pin, pinpoint back to that proves your creativity because oftentimes that our limiting beliefs are lies or mm -hmm. something from our past. And a good example for that for me is when I was, I, I surf, yeah. I paddleboard, mm -hmm. I swim in swimming pools and I'm out in the ocean often. But if people up to about seven years ago, if people asked me if I could swim, my answer was no. Hmm. And I could trace it all the way back to when I was five years old in a swimming mm -hmm. pool trying to dive. And the swim teacher said to me, um, or she, she called in another teacher. She's like, oh, let's get a second teacher in here because this one can't swim. Hmm. And that was stuck with me for all that time. Yeah. So that's, I feel like that's what a lot of our limiting beliefs are, something that may have been true in the past, right? but isn't true now. Yeah. And I love how you, you termed that, that a lot of these limiting beliefs are lies and whether those lies have manifested themselves, you know, through experiences, like you said, or we just continuously tell ourselves those things and it becomes true to ourselves. You know, I, I mean, yeah, I think the term lie is, is perfect for that. Yeah. Yeah. So do you think that, um, you know, these limiting beliefs, you know, I mean, I, I know we're kind of digging into some of this, but, and, and, and still ties to creativity, but, you know, a lot of times these limiting beliefs, they can lead to self-esteem issues. 
and, and you know, just, just having anxiety and, and, and when we're putting different situations. And I found that, you know, that's going to lead to a lot of other things or more and more. It's almost like a spiral, a circle that's like, okay, now I can't do this. I can't do this. Now I create more self-limiting beliefs and I just never get past that thing. And kind of going back to your, your, um, your story is that when you're in that loop, I feel like it's very easy to play the game plan of what somebody else laid out for you because it's safe. Right. right. And you don't believe that you can step out of that. And unfortunately, some people never do because maybe they have a, they, they fall into the sunken cost fallacy. I've invested so much into this that I have to just stay this for the rest of my life, no matter how unhappy I am. <laughs> and, and then some people just never know what their actual potential is. So do you think that um, that limited creativity can actually cause us to, um, you know, have those self-esteem issues and how do we kind of overcome those if so? I think I, I do agree that it can be like a, a cycle, right? Mm -hmm. this, this loop of not doing anything different because of your limiting beliefs and mm -hmm. not not knowing how to step out of them. Mm -hmm. And you know, I think part of my character character is when we talk about when we are going to talk about curiosity. So this is a good mm -hmm. place to start talking about it. Is mm -hmm. I just always been very curious, mm -hmm. and I've always been someone who doesn't mind just trying something and seeing mm. how it lands where mm. I realized that's not like, everyone's not like that. A lot of people, it's very hard for them to step out of the norm and do something different. Mm. So there is a, um, a book I read that really mm. helped me. It's called one small step can change your life. The Kaizen way by mm. Dr. Robert Maurer. And he's become a mentor of mine and he is a very small book and so easy to read, but so powerful. And he talks about when you are trying to do something new, take small steps hmm. because there, you know, it's, it's based around neuroscience, right? Cause there's hmm. in your brain lives the amygdala, which is your, yeah. which triggers fight or flight. Hmm. So if you're someone who doesn't like change to begin with and doesn't have a lot of confidence that you can make a change, if you're like, okay, I'm going to go and do this big grand thing. You're not, right. <laughs> you're not going to do it um, because you're, you, you haven't built the confidence to do it. And your amygdala and me is going to shut you down. But like, no, we're not. We're not doing any of that. We're going to sit on the couch. We're going to watch Netflix. We eat ice cream. Right, right. <laughs> but if you can break it down to the smallest step, mm -hmm. then you can move faster towards that goal because you're not triggering that amygdala to to wake up, basically. Mm -hmm. um, and the other thing he talks about is this idea of 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 giving yourself the smallest goals because when you meet the smallest goals like for example if i'm saying i'm gonna write a book i'm gonna mm -hmm. write three chapters today mm -hmm. uh, for four hours and i mm -hmm. write for three hours and 57 minutes and i didn't meet the four hours i consider like you're training your brain to be like i'm a failure mm -hmm. but you say you're gonna write for 10 minutes and you write for 12 yeah you're training your brain that you're a success mm -hmm. yeah no i, I love that because it was funny just that book analogy is Cause I, I'm planning on writing um, a person. I, I did a collaborative book, but I want to write my own next year. And I was like, well, you know, every time I've sat there and thought I was going to write a book, it never happens. Cause you think I got to write this entire book, mm -hmm. but I was like, no, I'm just going to write one chapter a month in 2022 you know what i mean and if i could finish 12 chapters by the i'm not trying to write a, a you know a gigantic textbook i'm just writing 12 chapters you know and i think that that's consumable now you know you can eat that elephant one bite at yeah. a time and feel yeah. good about it right and something else that you just kind of i don't i'll remember um 
that whole thing of just like, okay, if you just set those goals in small steps, you know, one small step out, whenever I used to bowl in intramurals, um, like just leagues and stuff. And I remember, um, when I was younger, I would like, as soon as I had a bad first frame, like, it's just, you know, it wasn't a good frame. It would just get worse and worse, you know, because I'm like, just like, Oh, I ruined it already. And I was like, you got ten, nine more frames to go. And um, when yeah. I was able to like yeah. reel that back and be like, it doesn't matter what happened in the last frame or how many frames in front, this is the frame, you know, start over the game's all new every time. And once one frame at a time, I found that I'm able to pull myself out of like, I had a bad frame and I could still pull out a good game. And I think that's really important because I've even done that with tests. I've taken um CLEP tests where I could try a test out of a college course and I get the first 10 questions wrong immediately. I'm like, oh goodness, <laughs> oh goodness. I don't know the answer to any of these. But then when I took it one step at a time and realized, okay, just forget those. Let's start one step at a time, do your best. And I ended up barely passing, you know, like instead of just dumping passed. it and getting up and leaving, right? <laughs> barely yeah. Barely passing is yeah. passing. <laughs> yep, absolutely. Instead of just getting up and leaving, which I think I would have done in the past, you know, just like, all right, we're done, we're done. Just get up and leave, just a waste of time. So yeah, I think you're right because our brain does like look at the big thing is like a mountain you know this, this is a mountain that we're not going to be able to get to instead of just those one step at a time yes and then there's a there's a phrase and i know there's it's called different things but there's a, a term in creativity called creative chaos mm. and is this idea that that you have to realize when you're trying something new you're going to face a period of creative chaos um and that's the time we're like okay great especially when i go into organizations i've taught you all these creative problem solving tools they're so different than how you normally solve problems and now you're going to start applying them and what's going to happen is it's going to look like a mess it's going to look like this is never going to work out and mm -hmm. let's just and then what, what a lot of people do at that point is like let's just make a u-turn and go back to the way we used to do things yeah but I, I i i give them a visual of it because it's this little line that gets really messy like a ball of yarn and then it kind mm -hmm. of cleans up a little bit and mm -hmm. on the very tail end of it is change and innovation yeah. and and i think something to for all of us to recognize is like whenever we make any type of change we're inevitably going to meet creative chaos yeah. And our job at that point is not turn around, yeah. is to keep going. Yeah. And you know, when you go through that chaos together as a team, you kind of experience something. I mean, in itself, going through that chaos and cleaning it up together. Uh, I mean, to me, that right there, that, that brings some team cohesion. Oh, absolutely. There's so much learning through chaos, right? Right, right. And I think it is important, like what you said, like I like to call it making friends with your discomfort. Like, you know, there's going to be chaos and all these things, but you got to make friends with that feeling and realize that you can get past it. Um, it's part of the process. It's not the result. You know, it's not the end that that, that you're getting to. It's you got to get through there. So it's like, you know, the storm that you have to go through. You're right. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So curiosity, this is my favorite leadership trait. And people often ask me, I was like, well, curiosity, is that really a leadership trait? I was like, 100%, in my opinion, curiosity yeah. is a leadership trait. Because, I mean, even just asking questions, because I think, you know, as Maxwell says, leaders ask great questions. Like, you have to have actually ask those questions with deep curiosity, you know, to be able to grow and create, like, a, a psychologically safe environment and everything in between. And curiosity is so important. I think that curiosity helps lead to so many great things. Uh, what, are, what are your thoughts on the importance of curiosity and your perspectives on it? So I, I, I think you're right. I absolutely think curiosity as a leader mm -hmm. is, is so important because it, it allows you to see from the perspectives of other people. 
-hmm. which oftentimes leaders don't need to do anymore, right? right? But so you stay curious as a leader, you can really stay tapped into what's going on. Mm -hmm. And all the ideas shouldn't be coming from you anyway. Mm -hmm. um, the way I've framed curiosity is really based on the way I saw it used growing up. And starting at a very young age, like I said, we were refugees from Vietnam. And when we mm -hmm. first came to this country, we lived at Camp Pendleton Marine Base where the Marines took care of us. Then they sent us off when we were, there were spaces, a refugee integration center, um, where, where it was more of a, a place where, you know, people can train on careers and, and get sponsored by, by churches and other families to start their, their lives here. And there was a Hollywood movie star who, who volunteered there, there named Tippi Hedren. Mm -hmm. And, her task there was to help the women at the camp find a career so they could support mm. their families. So she started a program that made typing and sewing available. Mm. And, you know, the women appreciated it, but there's something that my mom and some of her friends were so curious about, mm. and that was Tippy's long red manicure nails. Mm. So, you know, Tippy could have clearly just dismissed that curiosity, but she paid attention to it and she brought up her manicurist to teach them how to do a basic manicure. Mm. And that, you know, elevated their curiosity and, you know, so Tippy took another small step, went to the local beauty school and said, you know, these women don't have very much time here, but can they come learn at your school and get their license to become manicurists? And the beauty school said yes. So through that curiosity, through those small steps, what that did is it created this possibility for my mom and her 20 friends mm -hmm. to start a career in their new country, right? Wow. They started, the, they all became manicurists. And then the refugees and immigrants who came after us saw what they were doing, start their careers, and they got curious about, well, what if we open our own beauty salons rather than working mm -hmm. for someone? And what if we decide, what if we manufacture our own products? What if we open our own beauty schools? Yeah. And it's an eight, 46 years later, it's an $8.3 billion industry. I love that story. That is so amazing. And, you know, maybe Tippy was you know, the person that kind of came along to, to spark that curiosity, but mm -hmm. your, your mom and, and those, and those women, I mean, they're trailblazers. I mean, like how many, how many Vietnamese nail <laughs> salons are there out there? Like they're, they're everywhere. And yeah. I, you know, and you sharing that and uh, me hearing that on your TEDx talk also was like, I had no idea. I was, it is, I was curious, like, how did that happen? <laughs> you know, yeah. it's interesting. And that's just amazing. It's something that I, uh, like, I think it was, a uh, we we're talking about Cambodian, uh, donut, donuts. Yeah. I look at that too. I was like, how did that happen? And it's, it's just pretty amazing. And thank you for sharing that too. Cause that's just, to me, I think that just hearing that story can, can inspire so many people in itself. Yes. And I think, and I think I just saw that growing up, you know, that was like sort of like the big story around it. But then mm. every day I saw my mom follow her curiosity. Back then the nail business was, I remember like we'd have to go to the hardware store for her to buy um, sandpaper and stick mm. it on a piece of wood for a nail file. Mm. So it was always her being curious, like, okay, well, how might we do this? How might I do this? Right. What if we combine these two things? Right. So so I saw that every day of my life is following curiosity, create new possibilities. Mm -hmm. And that's the lens that I see curiosity through. Yeah. I, I find often that a lack of kind of creates more what ifs, you know what I mean? Like if, if I don't have the ability to do it with what I have, you know, then, yeah. it can, then it's like, how well, I still need to do that. Or, you know what I mean? How do I do that? You know, so oh, yeah. what if I tried it this way? That's you know? right. So, yeah. so, and and that's, that's, that's pretty amazing. I mean, to me, that's super inspirational. And I will also say more recently, mm -hmm. um, for me, curiosity. So I am, 
So I, did, I, I often use in my workshops now with my clients and I did it for myself. It's called the VIA, VIA Character Strengths Survey, mm, yeah, Values in Action. Mm -hmm. And my top two um, char character strengths are curiosity and creativity. Wow. And what I try to do now is apply that to everything I do, right? Yeah. Because, because I feel like if I can show up in my, t in my top character strengths, then I show up for myself and I show up for everyone else in the room. And I think yeah. back to my corporate career, I never was curious. I was never creative. And I'm like, oh, maybe that's why I was so miserable. <laughs> maybe if I brought that yeah. to the work I did, I wouldn't have been so miserable. Yeah. And I literally, like, I don't have them in front of me right now, but I, I have rocks that have my character strengths on them. So like mm. when I am going, maybe if I'm nervous for a podcast or I'm going mm. into a big client meeting, I look at my rocks, I'm like, okay, anxiety isn't on one of these rocks, right? <laughs> <laughs> but look, I can bring my curiosity. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, oh, that's awesome. I love that you brought up the, the VIA survey because um, we teach that in um, our resiliency training programs. And, okay. um, I got to go to University of Pennsylvania and get some training out there with the positive psychology. And we talked about that. And exactly what you said, if you're not living to your strengths, you know, and that, and that what happens is you start living to other things that are outside of your strengths and it drains you because that's not who you naturally are. But if mm -hmm. you can live to those, you know, if you can live inside of and walk in your strengths and walk in, in those um, gifts that you've been given, then it actually kind of energizes you because you're living to what you, what you find value in, you know, and I think that's what's so awesome about that. And this, that was eye opening to me um, because yeah, mine's um, critical thinking. Wow. And, um, and there's two things I learned from that survey and that lesson was, yeah, it's great, but also I can overthink things. So I have to realize that, that it brings an awareness that maybe oh, I need yeah. to have teammates that can be like, Hey chief, you're over, you're overthinking this one. <laughs> <laughs> we got to just move here. We got to move. <laughs> yeah. 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 We got to send it. We got to send it boss. We can't just sit here in this place forever <laughs> overthinking it, but yeah, it's, it's, um, it's a, it's a great survey and we're definitely going to link that onto the show notes since we talked about, it. I think a lot of people get some value out of that free survey. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. The other place where it helped me with, particularly with curiosity is in communication, mm. right? There's oftentimes, especially emailing, like we're doing so much emailing now that mm. messages can come across in a way like, mm. should I be offended? Yeah. Right. And yeah. you know, I'm, I'm, when I'm offended, I don't usually respond very well. Right. So, so yeah. rather than responding back, I, I use my curiosity. I'm like, huh, I'm curious. What do you mean by that? Mm -hmm. And then it yeah. opens up conversation. Yeah. And even to get to that point, like I think to myself, what if they didn't mean it the way I took it? Oh, yeah, that's good. <laughs> yeah, the what, applying the what if question. Yeah, what if, you know, so. But uh, what if they did? Yeah, what if they did? Then, then, we, then we have to have a different conversation. <laughs> we call that an executive clapback in some places. <laughs> no, no, that's awesome yeah and i really think that curiosity you know having that genuine curiosity it really helps to foster that creativity and, and it moves on to that innovation and, and the big picture things and and overall team team effectiveness organizational effectiveness so i really love what you do and um i think it's just awesome that you're sharing some of that with us here and i was wondering if people are interested in learning more about what you do and um and maybe even connect with you how would they do so I'm on LinkedIn, connected, connect with me through my name, not my business, but my name on LinkedIn. I'll, I'll accept your connection. If you send me a note, I'll definitely email, email back. And then to really, um, I have, I have two websites. One is worksmartadvantage.com, mm. uh, which tells you everything you need to know about what I do. And there's another one that's more like a landing page and is go 
www.worksmartadvantage.com. And that one I like to send people to initially because it has some videos on there to show mm. you the work I do. Nice, nice. And we'll definitely link those as well. So very cool. Very cool. So yeah, I think I just can see so much value in the work you're doing. So I don't just appreciate you for coming on the show and sharing it and being a connection with me because I love seeing what you're doing, but also just to me, it's like, it's a, it's a broader thing. It's a broader um, goal of just trying to help the community. You know, the things that you do help bring so much value. Um, and I think if more people can live to the, and, and like tap into their creativity, they'll be inspired. And if they're more inspired, you know, in whatever they're doing at work, they're going to be more effective. And if their work brings value to the world, you know, and it makes money, it must make, if it must bring value, if it's making money, then I think that it just makes the world better. And so in many ways, I, I feel that that's, what you're doing. So I'm so grateful for what you do. Oh, thank you so much. I, I appreciate that too, because I do, I, I, you know, when things come easily to you, like, I'm like, mm. I'm like, all I'm doing is bringing arts and crafts yeah. and paints and stuff. And like, yeah. but like, but there's, there's, I, I clearly know there's more to that, but it's mm -hmm. hard to recognize yourself for things you're doing. So mm -hmm. thank you for that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Cause I think you're, you're right. When you're living in what you naturally do is, it's kind of like, I don't, I feel like I'm just coming I'm not feel like I'm going to work. I'm just coming in and hanging out and having a good time. <laughs> so, right. yeah. And I think that's awesome. That's awesome. Because you're aligning your purpose to what you do. And that's like, that's just, I think to me, I, that's where the magic really happens. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, before I let you go, uh, Vaughn, I just wanted to uh, hit you with what we call the leadership rapid fire. So it's just a series of four questions. You know, we can't let anybody go without uh, without uh, attacking them with these. So yeah, um, you're bringing me back to like those pop quizzes in Catholic yeah. school now. So oh, yeah. oh, yeah. I'll try to bring my curiosity yeah. into this anxiety. <laughs> I promise <laughs> there'll be no rulers uh, wrapping across the hands or anything like that. <laughs> and even when we say rapid, I don't know why we call it rapid. It's not that rapid. It's However, you know, however you interpret the question, however you want to answer them. Sound good? Got it. Good. All right. All right. First question is, what is a tool, an item, a program, whatever that you might use um, on a daily basis that can make you, that makes you more effective and why do you use it? So I just started using this tool. Um, I don't even have it in front of me. Oh, here it is. It's called the five minute journal. Mm. And I just started using it about, about two weeks ago because I have you know, always heard this, this, concept of being grateful in the morning and showing mm -hmm. gratitude at the end of the day but i've never had a way to do that and this journal is really a great way to do it i'm, I'm just going to share a page with you it starts with in the morning you do a practice of what you're grateful for mm -hmm. what would make today great and a daily affirmation about yourself mm -hmm. right giving yourself an, an affirmation and at the end of the day you write three amazing things that happened and how could you have made the day better so I'm five or six days into it, but I'm trying to keep that as a habit because I think it is like, I mean, there's so many people that talk about how gra the more grateful you are, mm -hmm. the more that will come to you and the more grateful you will be, you will be. So that's something I'm using. Yeah. I mean, and we talked about neuroscience a little bit earlier. I mean, that, it does help like, cause we're naturally wired to see so many negative things that, that gratitude can have such so many positive effects. Yeah. That's right. awesome. Cool. And we'll make sure we link that too. Is that, can you find that on Amazon or? Yep, you can. Okay, awesome. It's the five-minute journal. I don't know who, who makes it. In, okay. Intelligent change. Okay, intelligent yeah. change. Nice. All right, question number two. What is your favorite quote? My favorite quote is by Maya Angelou. Mm. Um, people, will for, people will forget what you said. People mm. will forget what you do, but people will never forget how you made them feel. Yeah, I love that one too. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. All right, 
Next, third question is,、um, what is a book that you would recommend to an aspiring leader? The one I told you about, "One Small Step Can Change Your Life." I always recommend that book. I think it's such a a great tool for leaders、um, to understand for themselves and then to impart on the people that are working for them too. Very cool. I'm just gonna be adding that to my、uh, my my book list as well. <laughs> awesome. So cool. All right. The final question.、Um, this is a deep question of the day at the Llama Lounge. We're all about life, learning, and leadership. So、mm-hmm. how does Vun find her harmony between life, learning, and leadership?、Uh, that so I'm just gonna answer what first comes to my mind、mm-hmm. is for me being on the water. Is really、mm-hmm. important, and I spent a lot of time not doing that over the past several years, and and so so for me, it's like the physical activity of being on the water. I have a paddleboard now, and、mm-hmm. when I'm feeling out of balance, I go like I, I'm planning going paddleboarding tomorrow. So it's more of a physical activity for me. But I think the the gist of that for everyone is this idea of finding your flow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that that's awesome, and I think that、um, you know that the physical activities. I mean, they affect everything, right? Our, our, we're we're connected in so many ways where it comes to spirituality. Like when I'm jogging, mine mine comes when I'm jogging, and、um, you know the mental fitness comes into play, you know, and the spirituality、mm-hmm. too, and in so many ways. So that's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. You're welcome. Thanks for、uh, having me. Yeah, and yeah. Once again, thank you so much for coming on. This is such a great conversation, and I think we need to have you on again sometime very soon in the future, so that we can talk about some more great things. I would love to, and just and and we're friends, so I'm going、yeah. to talk to you outside of this podcast too. <laughs> yes, absolutely, absolutely. I'm honored to be a friend of yours and to have you as a friend. I think this is just a. I think we do so many collaborative efforts and just、uh, and and stay connected.、Yeah. So I, I'm honored. I'm honored. Oh, thank you! <laughs> awesome, and hey, a special shout out to our show sponsor, Blazing Star Barbecue. Check out Mike Star and his amazing rubs and sauces at BlazingStarBarbecue.com. You won't regret it. And to all our listeners, as always, be safe, stay healthy. Llamas out. Thanks for tuning in to the Llama Lounge podcast. Be sure to visit the homepage for links to products and services related to this episode. And don't forget to subscribe to the show on your podcast platform of choice. See you next time.